Good morning and welcome to our live broadcast at First Presbyterian Church. It is a joy to come into your home today with good news about God who loves you. We are located in beautiful Uptown Columbus on the corner of 11th and 1st. We would love for you to join us for worship or just stop by and say hello. At First Presbyterian Church, we welcome you with grace and gratitude for God's love. First reading this morning comes from Genesis, the 11th chapter, verses 1 through 7. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we should be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm very appreciative of the opportunity to be here. When I received the call inviting me to come, I committed myself to being here, only then to look at my calendar and discover this is Pentecost Sunday. And your pastor offered me the opportunity to skip Pentecost and preach on something else. And I said, no, that day I get to wear my red shirt. <laughs> I grew up loving Pentecost Sunday. When I was a little boy, I loved Pentecost Sunday for all of the ecclesiastical and theological reasons about the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit and also the white sheet cake that was going to be in the fellowship hall with all the red roses around it and happy birthday church emblazoned on it in bright red and trying to figure out how to maneuver to get the corner piece because it had all the sugar in it. <laughs> so my diabetes today is dependent solely on Pentecost Sunday. but I've always loved Pentecost Sunday. When I was a boy, I did look forward to the sheet cake in the fellowship hall. As I got older, I realized Pentecost Sunday represented something profound. I didn't understand exactly what, but something really important because all of a sudden men on Sunday wouldn't wear white shirts with dark ties Women's pastel dresses for the spring suddenly disappeared, and on Sunday, the worship center was emblazoned in wonderful colors that people thought were red. <laughs> From where I sat, they looked orange and pink and fire engine red, 
But at least it said something about the energy, the vitality, the life of the church. On that Sunday, it seemed like something special was going to happen. But I've always been a skeptic. I've not enjoyed being a skeptic. I've wished that I were not a skeptic. My father was a minister, and as I grew up, it was expected, required, that I would be in church on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday evening. Sunday morning, we would have the typical traditional service. Sunday evening, a modified version of a traditional service. But Wednesday was different. The focus of the service on Wednesday was not the sermon. We would sing two or three old songs, the what a friend we have in Jesus, or when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there, those old traditional songs that I then and still love to sing. And my father would lead a 10-minute Bible study on some passage, usually a fairly brief passage. And then it came time for the important part of the Wednesday evening prayer meeting, the time of testimonies, where it became quiet and one by one as they felt inspired, people would stand and talk about what the Spirit had done in their lives. And I hope what I say today does not in any way communicate a sense of mockery or dismissal of those people. They were wonderfully gracious. They provided an atmosphere for me that was indeed a spiritual home, and they loved me even probably when I didn't deserve it. But they had a certainty about the Holy Spirit that I never could quite believe. In that day, all of the people in the church went by brother and sister and their first name. So Sister Catherine would get up and she would talk about her trip to the grocery store. Last week, little Susie was ill and I didn't have a chance to go to the grocery store. But this week, as I always do on Tuesday, I went to Kroger's. But before I got there, I knew since I hadn't shopped last week, I'd have to get two carts full of groceries. Not the one cart I usually get, two carts of groceries. And so I prayed that right in front of the door of Kroger's would be an empty parking lot, an empty space, and I would be able to pull in because it was a two shopping cart day. And the Spirit reserved a spot right in front of Kroger's for me. And she was a wonderfully compassionate mother figure for me. But I sat there wondering, did other people pray for that space and not get it? <laughs> or the next Wednesday, 
or a Wednesday or two after that when Sister Catherine stood up. She didn't say anything about that parking space because I think the Holy Spirit reserved her one in the bright sunshine at the far end of the parking lot. I grew up with people who had a certainty about the work of the Holy Spirit that I desperately wanted. I craved it. I envied that certainty about the work of the Spirit. People would stand on Wednesday night and they would talk about their children and they, the children had been ill and had to leave school. They were throwing up in class and they prayed for them and the Spirit healed them and two days later they were back in class. But I remembered in October when my parents prayed for me and I was out of school for a week and a half. Why didn't the Spirit heal me? as quickly as other kids got healed. Say, so, my friends, I don't doubt the work of the Spirit, but I had difficulty with the assurance, the certainty of those people who when they talked about the work of the Spirit had a certain experience of the Spirit's work that was not like my life and what I experienced. I was surrounded by people that were loving people. I remember them. They made such a profound contribution to me and to my spiritual life. But they carried such a certainty, such an assurance about their sense of the way the Spirit worked, that while on the one hand, I didn't doubt their experience, they were so authentic and so genuine, so real, and then how do I reconcile that with my own experience, the questions that I have, the doubts that I have, the wonderment that I have about the work of the Spirit. I know today, on Pentecost Sunday, the right sermon is to preach on the nature of the Holy Spirit or to identify three or four or five things that are the work of the Spirit and speak with certainty about those. But I think in the history of the church, there have been those who've wondered. You think in a few minutes we'll do, we'll say those wonderful affirmation, affirmation words of the Apostles' Creed. And it begins, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. God gets the headlines in this particular passage. When we say those words, we begin by affirming God and God's work. And then after that, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, and Jesus gets a lot of text. And the Holy Spirit gets two minor references. Conceived by the Holy Spirit, and then later we affirm, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then we get away from the Spirit about as quickly as we can. Because there's something about God's work that gives us certainty. The universe is here and we still are trying to understand it, but it's as solid as this pulpit in front of us. And we know about the work of Jesus, conceived of the Holy Spirit, 
born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate. When we begin to talk about the work of the Spirit, all of a sudden our voices begin to waver a bit. We have a few more questions. See, I grew up surrounded by people who were so certain of the work of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit worked in their lives, they were as absolutely certain and assured of that as they were if I walk in the Chattahoochee River, I'm going to get wet. And in place of their certainty, I had questions. In place of their assurance, I had doubts. Now, I want you to listen carefully. As the author of Acts talks about the work of the Spirit, the coming of the Spirit. We're used on Pentecost Sunday to hearing all of those certainties. You'll hear them as I read the text. It says they. We don't know if they were the 120 in the upper room. More likely the they is the 12 apostles, but we don't know. But otherwise, they. On the day of Pentecost, that's very, very solid and certain. We're together in one place. That's clear. The Spirit comes. That's clear. And then they spoke in other languages. Kind of the reversal of the story of the Tower of Babel. That story, everybody spoke one language and it got confused. In this story, all these people speak different languages, but they can understand each other. And so when we read this, it sounds very much like it reinforces that certainty, that assurance. That assurance that is so clear, it is as clear for those people who believe in that certainty as if I slip off the limb of a tree, I'm going to hit the ground. But listen to the author of Acts. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can you hear? Can you hear the author's shifting language? There is certainty in the text. When the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. Something filled the whole house. Something were rest, was resting on each of their heads. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other tongues. Hear the certainty in that? The assurance? The clear, literal finite language the author uses. 
And if that were the author's last words, I would be in trouble because I don't have that certainty. Things are not as sure to me as Sister Catherine's parking place in front of Kroger's. But the author also has problems with his theology. He can't quite get it into words because he does not say flames of fire rested on their heads and he does not say a mighty wind blew. He said something that sounds like a mighty wind. And flames like flames of fire rested on their heads. Even his language fails him and he has to switch to poetic imagery. And my friends, that's where I find hope on the day of Pentecost. Even the author of Genesis runs out of words. The literal prose of the text and has to change into this wonderfully inspiring and uplifting and not so clear language. There were things that looked like flames of fire. And there was a sound that sounded like a mighty rushing wind. I have spent years looking for, searching for, desperately wanting a place to belong. Meaning a place where people are sure and I'm as sure of it as they are. Where when Sister Catherine talks about Kroger's, I can pray and there'll be a parking place in front of Piggly Wiggly for me. But for me, it was more like, God, if you want me to have a donut, have your spirit save a place in front of Dunkin' Donuts' door for me. And I knew it was the work of the spirit because after I drove around the block nine times, there was that parking place. I've tried and worked and struggled, and my faith comes out of a sense of that difficult balance, that shifting mystery between how much of what we believe is certain, assured, as solid as it possibly can be. And how do we remain people of faith when the parking space is not right there in front of the door of Kroger's. Or you pray and the person dies when they were supposed to be healed. When at the deepest part of your being, there is a part of you that says faith is as certain as it can be as certain as walking in the Chattahoochee is going to get you wet. 
and at the very same time, deep within. There's that sense, but others seem to believe with such certainty that I don't have. Where am I to locate a sense of faith for myself? And I find wonderful hope in this passage from Acts chapter 2, where the author can offer such certainty. They, on the day of Pentecost, were gathered in one place, and then he has to shift because all of a sudden his words are not so certain. Faith is not always being certain. Faith is the willingness to trust God. Faith is the willingness to have confidence in the work of the Holy Spirit when it isn't so certain. When the parking space is at the far end in the bright sunshine and you do have to get two carts worth of groceries. The disciples at this point we're in a desperate moment. Jesus had gone away. He had said, I will send you another comforter. I'll send someone to take my place. And you wait. You wait until that Spirit comes upon you. And for me, much more of life and my life journey, my faith journey, is living the day between Good Friday and Easter Sunday morning when I get the answers. Much more of my life is lived in the sense that I'm not feeling that Jesus is certain and centered and my life is well-founded on that which is incontrovertible and cannot shift. More often, I'm with the disciples in the upper room. I'm waiting. And I believe a faithful part of my life journey, my spiritual journey, is the capacity to wait for that which I've been promised. Sometimes I prepare a sermon. No. Anytime I preach, I prepare a sermon. <laughs> Occasionally, I preach a sermon with the expressed intent that it would speak to my own spiritual needs. I preach what I need to hear. And today, I'd like to think in my preaching what I need to hear in affirming my own faith may actually be an affirmation for some of you who struggle between that sense of certainty and uncertainty and yet remain faithful to the call of Christ and the work of the Spirit. Sometimes I preach what I need to hear and hope the people who are eavesdropping get something from it. Let us pray. Oh God, you call us to certainty and uncertainty. You call us to faith and doubt. I know I've always wanted the certainty and the faith, but I've always had to live with that 
continued inward struggle. Today, O oh God, I'm so thankful that the author of this short passage that I read ran out of certainty and had to shift his language to encompass the uncertain. Oh God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit. Amen.